Welcome to Bible Fellowship Church's The Upper Room. Our podcast addresses the Christian's role in today's culture. We hope you enjoy it and find it informative. To help support our ministry, please consider becoming a subscriber and financial contributor. Links to donate are on our website at bfcforyou.org. Now let's get going. Alrighty, how's everybody doing out there? This is Pastor Scott coming to you from my home studio, and I wanted to do a direct message today. I got a lot of things going around on my mind, and and a lot of uh, discontentment, I guess, if you will. Um, things just kind of seem to be crazy right now. Not really sure what or why all that all this is going on, but uh, made me think about contentment. Is a subject, and so I decided that I would look to the scripture, find some encouragement, look for some ways of thinking that I might be able to achieve a little bit of contentment. And so, what kind of got me going down this path? Well, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Chuck Bates preached a message uh, talking about in Ephesians, talking about this whole idea of walking in the Spirit, walking with the Lord, kind of what that looks like. And uh, out of the book of Ephesians, if you've not read those chapters four and five, it's it's really good stuff. But the whole idea of walking with the Lord is as you walk with the Lord, you are given certain things, certain attributes uh, that help you get through life, really. And uh, this last week, Pastor Don uh, was back in the pulpit. It was good to see him and good to have him back. Um, even though he's not totally 100% yet, he's healing up and, and doing better day by day. And it was good to to hear him back in the pulpit teaching again. So if you haven't listened to that message yet, I would suggest you go back and check out the BFC for You Reaching the World message from this last Sunday, which should have been posted on Wednesday. Uh, excellent message about Isaiah looking in these latter chapters, 51 through 55, and looking at some of the imperatives that were in that in that, uh, I think it was 51 and 52, uh, specifically. And it was things like, look, awake, you know, these things where, you know, pay attention, you know, heed what I'm telling you. And, uh, and so it got me to, to look in and think in about some of these things, you know, this whole idea of walking with the Lord, spending time with the Lord, being with the Lord. Um, I've been reading a book on the side. Um, it's just simply called deeper and it's about, you know, our relationship uh, to Jesus Christ, our relationship to God and what that looks like and and that it needs to be more than just a cerebral relationship, you know, a knowledge-based relationship. It needs to be a heart-based relationship. And some people take that to an extreme too. But I find there's a balance there that's kind of tough to maintain. Um, I do know that when I, I get more knowledge of who Christ is, I learn more about him in the scripture and his word. It does help with the heart uh, connection, makes me more confident, more sure of my relationship with him. And so that's, that's good. You know, that's, that's all good stuff. And we need to be about that. But this idea of walking with the Lord on that day to day, moment by moment basis, um, giving things up to God, allowing God to work through your life, um, not allowing the day-to-day things to weigh you down or to worry you or to make you anxious. 
Um, but, uh, you know, give that over to the Lord, walk with the Lord and put, put those burdens at his feet that he can, um, help you with it and take care of them. And if it is something, a trial or something for you to go through, he's there with you and he's, he's helping you, he's guiding you through it. And so life is not all roses, you know, life is not all good times and, and happy, happy all the time. Life is difficult, and it's intended to be that way. We're growing through that process, and hopefully as believers, we're growing with our Lord and Savior through those processes, and it's driving us closer in relationship to Him, that we trust Him more, that we allow Him to have more direct guidance in our life, that that we have this back and forth with Him as, as we express the desires and wants of our heart that he all, he comes back to us with the desires of his heart. And as we grow closer together in relationship, those desires begin to become one. And so one of the things we get when we walk with the Lord is we're told that when we're walking in the Spirit, we enjoy the fruits of the Spirit, right? And the fruits of the Spirit are love, number one, right? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, I mean, all of these things are really good things, and they're things that I think all of us would want to have to be an active part of our life. No, nobody wants to be in misery. Nobody wants to be anxious or depressed or angry all the time or you know, outright hateful. All of us want to have these kind of traits about us. You know, We want to be a person who is loving, who is joyful. Who is about peace and making peace? Who's very patient with other people? Uh, who's kind? Um, who's generally good? You know, who who looks to try to do good things? Uh, who's faithful in the relationships that you have with one another? Who's gentle in their behavior and, and how they treat difficult situations? And who has that measure of self-control? And self-control is an interesting one, and I've, I've talked about this a little bit before, because not only is it a uh, fruit of the Spirit when we're walking close with the Spirit, but it's also something we're told in Second uh, Peter that we needed to be developing, that it's part of that hierarchy of things that we're developing in our life is self-control. And uh, it, it's a big one for all of us, and it's difficult uh, in our day and time to have self-control. We're not encouraged to have, have self-control. Uh, we're not encouraged actually to do most of these things that we consider to be fruits of the Spirit. We're all told that, you know, we need to make a stand, that we need to fight, that we need to be activists, that we need to be part of, if you're not, you know, part of the solution, you're part of the problem, and all these kind of things that we're told all the time. And it's easy to get caught up in that, even from the Christian point of view. There's plenty of Christians out there that are saying these same kind of things, and they're, you know, fighting for the kingdom and all all these kind of things. And and in some respects, there's not a lot that's wrong with that. I mean, we do need to be uh, people of light, and uh, but that light is exposing darkness. You know, we're not uh, by exposing the darkness, we we've done the damage. You know, ideally, we need to be people of the gospel. We need to be people that are trying to share the gospel, trying to uh, get people to uh, believe the gospel so that they can have that inner change in their life. That's the only thing that's really going to change them. You know, we're not going to change the world and we're not going to change individual people externally by external pressure. They may conform for a while, but ultimately they will rebel. 
And that's the sin nature that's within them. And there's nothing you can really do about that until they believe the gospel, until there's that interchange, until there's that new creation. And so that needs to really be our focus. And so, you know, it's interesting how our attentions are just so easily turned away from God and the things that are his priority, right? And we get so caught up into the day-to-day things, and they're not all bad things. Many of them are very good things that we're involved in. But anything can be a distraction uh, from our relationship to God and, and our focus and our walk with Him. You know, right now the world is, is really unsettled, to say the least, right? I think we all pretty, know, pretty much know that. We all feel that for sure. And there's a sense in which something's just not right. And, and part of that's because this world is corrupted by sin. And so it's never going to feel right. And so as, especially as a believer— uh, you know, we look around us and we see the the misery, we see the heartache, we see, you know, the societal problems we have of homelessness and drug abuse and things like that. And we say, you know, we ought to do something about that. We ought to try to make that better. Uh, we ought to try to solve that problem. Well, the, to be honest with you, I don't think that problem can actually be solved. Uh, we can do our part to get in there and help alleviate the suffering and try to help people get back on their feet again. But solving things like homelessness, solving things like drug abuse, um, a lot of those are, are mental problems. A lot of those are problems that people are having emotionally, mentally, and that they need a higher level of care than simply, you know, giving them a couple bucks or a sandwich or whatever. Not that I'm saying you shouldn't do those things as well, but, but those don't solve the problem. So, you know, much of our world leadership today uh, has completely thrown off God, and fully invested in mankind solving all of our problems using the government. You know, there's, there's this sort of mentality that, that the government can fix everything. It's a very humanistic standpoint, and it's very biblical. It's something that's gone back all the way to the Tower of Babel. And uh, humanity has been trying from the time of the Tower of Babel on forward to solve this problem of uh, sinful living through the use of human government. And using human government to try to uh, fix this inner problem that all of humanity suffers with, and in fact, all of creation suffers with. And so really, it's kind of an arrogant stance, if you think about it a little bit, um, if you give it any thought at all, to think that, that we could solve something like sin, especially when it's already been solved by God, but because they don't believe in God— they don't believe in the atoning power and work of Jesus Christ. They, they put all of their faith and all of their trust into humanistic ventures, um, looking at humanistic science, looking at uh, humanistic government, and in, in saying you know that if we all just band together and we get the right people in charge, we can solve these problems. And I think each one of us deep down knows that that's not true, you know, that that's not going to happen. We're not going to solve the problems that way. The scary thing about it, though, is that in this quest to solve humanity's problems, these people, these these folks who have denied God, have this viewpoint of humanity as a whole, as a collective, and that the individual person within that is not as valuable as the whole. And so we see this brought out in a lot of the things that are going on today that we see a lot of the direction 
that some of the political parties are headed in, in the thing, the policies they're trying to drive and push is this idea of they'll call it society. But what they're saying when they say society is not necessarily society. It's the collective. It's those people who have the same viewpoint as them and that they're all working together for this common goal or this common interest. And the the part that frightens most of us of that is that we've seen in the past with these similar types of movements is that anybody who's not on board with the collective ultimately has to be destroyed. Now, whether that's politically destroyed or physically destroyed, and in many cases, it's physically destroyed. Um, these people are rounded up and put in camps. They're, they're put in labor camps. They're put in re-education camps, they call them sometimes. Um, they take they take people and take them out and and uh, just shoot them. Uh, we saw that with Mao when he took over China uh, under Mao's communist China. He literally had millions of of fellow Chinese people killed uh, because they weren't on board with the Communist Party's ideology. And there, you know, there's so many people in China, and we see the things that the Chinese Communist Party are doing, and we see that some people are trying to resist over there. And we wonder if the Chinese people would just stand up, but they they don't because they're terrified because of what Mao did, because he made an example of these millions of people who weren't on board with communism and he just slaughtered them all. And so the people that are there, there's there's a long memory there and they don't want to be a part of another slaughter like that. And I got to say, I I don't blame them. It's It's an awful, awful thing. And so we see that, but we see this idea of societal good or this collective good um, being brought out in, in today in today's news and parlance with this whole idea of the vaccine mandates. You know, I'm not against vaccines. I think I've been pretty open and honest about that from the beginning. Um, the only reason I haven't gotten the vaccine is because uh, I'm naturally vaccinated. The Lord vaccinated me. I got sick. You know, I actually got COVID and and uh, got the illness, and so now I have the antibodies and. And I don't necessarily need a vaccine. Now, maybe down the road, if, if a, a booster is developed that can enhance what I already have and there's fewer side effects than some of the vaccines that are out there now have, um, you know, I, I may I may take one just to try to stave off getting sick again. But I'm beginning to think with these vaccines that we're going into the flu shot direction of things. It's not a vaccine in, tradi- in the traditional sense of the word where you got long term protection from the illness. You know, when I was a child and I got a smallpox vaccine, that kept me from getting smallpox. I didn't get smallpox. I was vaccinated once. I've never had smallpox in my entire life. Um, Same thing with the polio vaccination. Uh, Same thing with uh, hepatitis vaccinations and other vaccinations I've got. I've got a long laundry list of vaccinations that I've taken over the years. Um, Yellow fever. Um, I've, I've been vaccinated for yellow fever. I've been vaccinated for typhoid. I've been vaccinated for a lot of things because I do some international travel, uh, things that typical Americans don't normally get vaccinated for. And they all give long-term protection. The only one I can think of, I think the yellow vaccine you have to take once every five years or something like that. I think the uh, yellow fever, that is. And I think the, the tetanus shot is one that you have to get a booster once every 10 years. Um, this business of the flu shots and having to get a new flu shot every year, uh, and now with these COVID shots, and it's looking like they're kind of headed in the same direction where you've got to get a new one every year, and it doesn't actually protect you from getting the illness. It it may lessen your chance of getting the illness, but there's plenty of people that are getting breakthrough infections now. 
And now they've they've kind of changed their tune. They're not saying that it's got a 96 plus or whatever, you know, percentage effect efficacy rate against infection. Now they're saying that, well, it's got a high rate or a high chance of keeping you out of the hospital or or preventing you from dying, which is good. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but be honest with us. You know, when all this was was coming out initially, there were some epidemiologists out there and virologists out there that were saying this very thing that, you know, chasing a coronavirus around like this and trying to uh, create vaccines for it, basically, we were going to have the flu shot, but it was going to be this this new uh, coronavirus that we were getting this therapy for. And it was all poo-poo. No, 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 no. Pfizer and all these companies. Oh, no, you get the two shots. You should be good, you know, last years and years. And now they're saying, well, because of the variants now, we're having to, that's exactly what these people were saying early on. And they weren't being honest with us, maybe in part because they were trying to get more people to get vaccinated. But in, in some respects, It's kind of like the same thing when Dr. Fauci started off by telling us that we didn't need to wear masks. And then later he did say we need to wear masks. And when people asked him about it, he said, well, I told you that originally because I wanted to make sure there wasn't a run on masks and that, you know, the frontline workers were able to get masks, you know, when they needed them until we could get supplies up to where they needed to be. Well, why didn't you just say that to start with, you know? But these are the kind of things that are making me discontent, right? This is the kind of stuff. And I'm living with it right now because I am a federal employee, and so I'm under a mandate. I've got to be fully vaccinated, which they don't recognize natural immunity, by November 22nd. And so, you know, what do I do? I I don't think I need it. I'm not really opposed to it. I could put in for a religious exemption against it. You know, chances are, if I want to keep my job or not face disciplinary action, I'm going to have to get vaccination, you know. And uh, if I do, because the Novavax vaccine won't be available by then, I'll probably be uh, doing like the Johnson & Johnson, uh, where I can get the one shot. You know, it's just, it's crazy. I I disagree with the policy. I don't think it's the right way to, to treat American citizens is to force them to do things against their will. It's just not who we are as a country. And so, you know, but it kind of goes to a a larger issue, which is that we've got a lot of back and forth going on. There's a lot of animosity between people. And a lot of it is because we've got this sort of, and we've talked about this before on on the podcast too, we've got this sort of team mentality, this sports mentality, our team, your team, and we're fighting and we're vying for, you know, who's going to win or whatever. And And so, you know, the team left and team right and team right can't do anything wrong in any of the eyes of everybody on team right and team left can't do anything wrong in the eyes of everybody on team left. And it's just gotten to a point where it's just ridiculous, really. I mean, you know, we can't get together and and even and have a normal discussion about things. And part of that is because over the last couple of generations, we've really pushed this idea of complaining, we call it advocacy, but it's really complaining to get your way, to make a change, to force something you think is wrong, to change direction into a direction that you think is right. And we see this all the time, and social media has just made it exponentially worse, uh, where people mob and force other people to do things they don't want to do, and or cancel people outright or whatever. And we see that this complaining and this dissatisfaction level is really high right now. Um, there's, a cer- there's a certain amount of what we would call an emotional frailty 
anxiety is really high among young people, especially, but even older people are experiencing a lot more anxiety now because of just the uncertainty of what's going on and with our country and with people in general. And so I can't tell you the number of people I know that are seeking therapy or know someone who is, I bet everybody out there probably either knows somebody who is, is in therapy right now or is themselves in therapy. It's very, very common. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's a good thing. People need to talk stuff out. But I got to believe in in a certain sense, if we were closer in our walk with the Lord, if we were walking with the Lord and we were in his spirit, we were walking with the spirit, we were exhibiting those fruits of the spirit. I don't think you'd need therapy. I don't think it would be needed. And so as the church, I think we're failing our country. We're failing our, our parishioners by not helping them understand these issues, understand these uh, concepts, and helping them, discipling them into learning how to walk with the Lord, how to walk in His Spirit, how to trust God to take care of your day-to-day things, I mean, and not have to rely on outside therapists and whatnot. And again, I'm not saying that's bad. I, I think it's good. You do need, if you if you really are struggling and suffering in life, it's, it's always good to seek counsel from another person, whether you call that a therapist or your pastor or whoever, it doesn't, doesn't matter. It's a good thing. So we see that, you know, right now with this complaining, this dissatisfaction, a lot of that's because of this humanistic philosophy that has really sort of taken over the culture of our country. And it's the moral code of our day, right? It, it is the culture right now. And, and unfortunately, part of that culture and code is that they've set this standard, and the standard they've set is utopia. And so they're never satisfied with anything if it doesn't meet the standard of utopia, right? Everything is, is something less than utopia, so we have to attack it, we have to vilify it, we have to talk about how horrible the patriarchy is and all this kind of stuff. And so we're, you know, we're going after all these things because we're dissatisfied, we're angry, but it's all part of this humanism. It's, it's part of this culture that's been developed over the last, I don't know, probably since World War II, maybe even earlier than that. If you go back and you look at the early part of the 1900s with people looking towards communism and, and looking towards eugenics and some of these other things that were kind of really becoming part of the mainstream thought. And really, that stuff never went away, even though eugenics was carried out to its kind kind of end, normal end by the Nazis in World War II. That whole concept of eugenics, even though we don't talk about it in terms like that anymore, it's still very much a part of this culture, this humanistic culture, because utopia is still the standard, right? And so there are humans, there are people that don't meet that standard, whatever that standard is. And that's the problem with having utopia as your standard is that it's it's never it's never right. It's never good. There's always, there's always something better, something, something different that, that could make it that much better. Right. It's that, and it's interesting because it's part of a manufacturing thinking or a manufacturing process that we took to the Japanese after world war II, and it's continual process improvement. Uh, it goes by a bunch of different names and you know, Sigma six and all these other different things, but it's this whole idea of continual improvement. And there's nothing wrong with that, but if if you're working towards continual improvement, if you're looking at everything that you're trying to fix in terms of utopia, in terms of perfection, and nothing ever achieves perfection, then where does that leave you? It always leaves you dissatisfied. 
It leaves you complaining. It leaves you struggling. And you see that, you know, in manufacturing, it's one thing. But in society, there's no limits to any of that. You know, in manufacturing, there's limits to what you can do based on the machinery and the technology you have at the time. You can only cut something or make something or whatever to plus or minus so many thousands, you know, that kind of thing. Whereas society, there are no measures like that, right? It's just, you're always dissatisfied because we're never reaching what we consider to be utopia. And so what it's boiled down to or what it's come to is that people are being pitted against one another along racial or sexual lines. And it takes our eyes off the corruption in our leadership, right? So there, there's a conspiracy theory angle to all of this. And I guess it's a conspiracy theory until it's proven right. But the idea that are the elites, those people who want to be in charge, the people who want to run the rest of our lives, those people don't want us watching what they're doing. And so they pit us against each other, right? It's uh, straight white males against everybody else. You know, we've talked about intersectionality and some of these other things that, you know, they're, they're pitting people against and fighting with each other. And it's just, it's just ugly. It's ugly. There's nothing good about it. And so not to be a total bummer on everybody, but you know, that's one of the reasons why I've been feeling there's just sort of this sense myself of discontentment. And it really bothered me as a believer. I shouldn't, I don't know that I should be feeling this way. I think, you know, if I'm really walking with the Lord, if I'm walking in his spirit, I should be feeling love, joy, peace, patience, you know, all those good things. And so, but we see that it's infected even the church. It's gotten into the church too. So what are we supposed to do about it? How do we fix this? Well, I want to take you to a scripture, and it's in 1 Timothy, and the Apostle Paul is writing this to Timothy, and it's chapter 6, and you can read the whole chapter, but I'm just going to look at a a section of it here. And in chapter 6, the Apostle Paul, uh, sort of at at the end of verse 2, it says, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ— and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing, right? That pretty much explains our society today. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy. Hmm, Yeah, online trolls, all that kind of stuff. People love to get into it with each other. And for quarrels about words, yeah, which produce envy. Oh, plenty of that going around. Um, Envy is like the number one thing of, of the left right now. I mean, their whole... Um, mantra, their whole shtick is based on envy. Uh, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, we're seeing all of that, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Why are they deprived of the truth? Well, because they've thrown off God. They don't, they don't believe in God. They don't want anything to do with God. You bring the Bible, you try to bring reason uh, through the scriptures to them, they don't even want to hear it. It's all, that's all myth. That's all a bunch of silliness. You know, we're, we're above that. We're beyond that who are depraved of mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Okay? So they see themselves, humanists see themselves as their own God. They see themselves as the center of their own truth. And so they they see that as their means of gain. That's how they're going to get ahead. That's why there is this push of people who have this kind of mentality to get into positions of leadership because they that's the natural place where they're going to go in order to feel feel fulfilled as a, as a God, lowercase g, of themselves. Verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And that's the verse I want to kind of camp on right there for us. Godliness with contentment is great gain. 
Not that we necessarily need to go along with everything, but we need to be content in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, walking with the Lord, knowing that he's there for us, knowing that he's our advocate, knowing that Jesus is there before the Father, advocating for us uh, every moment of the day. And then in verse 7, it says, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take and we cannot take anything out of the world. So there's perspective right there, right? Um, we fight, we work through, we work hard, we spend money, we, we go into debt, we do all of these things um, to try to create a legacy for our kids and grandkids. And I'm not saying any of that's bad, but you need to do it with the right perspective, with a godly perspective, because... All of the physical things that you're doing in this world, all of the hard work you're putting in, all of the papers you're writing, all of the music you're composing, all of the um, podcasts you're putting out there, all of that stuff, all of that one day will be gone. It will not exist forever. And so the perspective here is what we need to maintain and what we need to keep. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Verse 9, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, right? And that exp- that's our whole country. Our whole country, globally speaking, the United States is rich. The poorest person in the United States has more wealth than most of the rest of the world. And so we are a very wealthy nation, and, and we have definitely fallen into temptation and into a snare, into many, many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction, I think it explains us pretty, pretty well. Verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. And we see plenty of, of examples of that church people, church leadership in particular that have gone astray, that got overwhelmed with all the money and uh, went their own way and got caught up in all kind of terrible things. And some of them have actually, you know, fallen and crashed. Uh, Some of them are still riding high on it. And, you know, there's no guarantee that that they'll be brought down necessarily. So it's, you know, we see it. It's just part of of who our society is and, and the way it's become. But verse 11, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, Okay, these are things that, that he wants us to do. So you've got the, the, if you're walking with the Lord, walking in his spirit, you've got things that are attributed to us by the spirit. But then there are things that we also need to be working on as well. And, and some of these overlap. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of, G- and of Christ Jesus, who is, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of King and Lord of Lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Fantastic stuff. All right. Flee these things, pursue righteousness, fight the good fight of the faith, right? Get back to our roots. Get out there with the gospel. Teach, disciple people how to live a gospel life. And 
and, and this idea of taking hold of the eternal life to which you were called, right? You are enjoying eternal, if you are a believer, you are enjoying eternal life right now. Your life is now eternal. And you need to be thinking with that eternal perspective as you go through life, that our life is not something that we just, um, it's, it's here on earth and then eternity begins after we die. You are, you've already begun that eternal life here in this life. And part of what you need to be doing during this time is learning how to do this walk that Chuck talked about. And we need to pay attention. We need to look like Pastor Don talked about in Isaiah. Follow that Isaiah study. There's really good stuff in there uh, that, that makes the New Testament make so much sense because the people of the New Testament knew and understood Isaiah. And I think it's one of the areas where we've kind of gotten off track is we we focus so much on the New Testament and those areas where it refers to Isaiah or whatever, we just kind of gloss over and don't really pay much attention to it. But those are key. Those are critical uh, to the teachings within the New Testament because those people in that time knew and understood the book of Isaiah. So I just wanted to kind of talk a little bit about that. I feel better already just by kind of expressing this and getting it out. It's It's interesting that we're living in a time where there seems to be very little contentment where people just are really struggling and they're dealing with anxiety and depression and, and mental illness in general. And so much of that, I think, could be alleviated if people would just, first of all, believe and secondly, begin to walk with the Lord. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to talk about some of the things that are going on in our world today. I thank you, Lord, for your, your scripture and the encouragement it is to me and, and to those who hear this podcast. I thank you, Father, for the Apostle Paul and the wisdom that you gave him to write these things down, the way you inspired him to pen the words that we might still have these today to fall back on and to, to get some encouragement from and to develop that contentment that we can only have through you when we are walking with you and staying close to your side. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I ask, Lord, that you would... Uh, work in their hearts, help them stay true to you, help them to be in the scriptures, help them to uh, take the time to develop their relationship with you, to be in prayer, and to develop their relationship with one another, Lord. Father, we are a family. We are all in this together. Uh, This world hates us. It wants nothing to do with us. Matter of fact, it would very much like to see us gone. And I pray, Father, that you would help each one of us to be that light that we can shine on the darkness, that we can help those who are unsure and they're vacillating in their belief to be strong in their belief. Those who have not believed yet to come to believe. And Lord, that that we can all uh, be strong and that we can be content and that we can be prepared for the day of your return. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. I hope you enjoyed our discussion today and found it thought-provoking. The Upper Room is a Bible Fellowship Church production. The opinions discussed by our guests are just opinions and random thoughts at the time of recording and do not necessarily reflect the doctrine or stated beliefs of Bible Fellowship Church.